have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Howdy folks, this is Willard Wingnut, and I'm sure we've all heard the same expression, a woman works from sun till sun, but a voiceover works from noon till one. And I thought, hey, I want to be one of them. So I decided to get some lessons in voice acting. And of course, what I did was looked up the best voiceover coach I could possibly find, which was Alicia Bowman. So basically, this is what I sounded like six months ago. But today, I sound like this. I begin every sentence with, in a world. In a world where there were a million mediocre voiceover coaches. Where they were like lukewarm roller dogs at 7-Eleven. There was one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest. The one and only Elise Bowman. And she can coach you too. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And you can become a voiceover, too. Now back to my regular voice. That's right. She's like magic, so check her out. And if you have half as much fun as she does, well, she'll have twice as much fun as you. Welcome back to another awesome week on the I Know You Hear Me podcast. And happy holidays to all of you tuning in this week. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas and a lot closer to more family time as well. So hopefully... Everybody that's about to travel is going to have safe travels, going to have blessings to get that time with the family, get a little time off work, and just enjoy the reason for the season. Again, I sound like a broken record here, guys. I'm bringing you another awesome guest today. I'm bringing you somebody that I've known since, gosh, probably somewhere around the first year of my wrestling career, back when that started in 2007, moving into 2008. He was one of the first guys I met when I started traveling out of state, one of the first guys to help me start getting bookings out of state. Man, he wears so many hats. He's been a wrestler. He's been a promoter. He's, uh, I mean, he's a husband. He's a father. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. But before we bring him on today, I want to take a minute again to thank our sponsors. They keep this show going. And not only do they keep this show going, every single one of you that tunes in and gives us these reviews, messages me on social media, and thanks me for the episodes. Thank you guys for keeping this show going and giving me something to have another reason to chat with my friends. So I'm grateful that you guys are enjoying these, and I promise you, not only including today's episode, but we got a lot more coming too. So I've got a lot more guests lined up that you guys are going to enjoy. And if this is your first episode, I've got a lot of great guests in the archives as well. So not only should you go and subscribe, 
If you're on Apple iTunes and the podcast app, go leave us a five-star review. And then go back to the very beginning. Listen to me putting myself on the hot seat and talking about my first year of marriage. Listen to the awesome guests that are going to fall into the wrestling genre like Chris Michaels, Vic the Bruiser, and so many others. And then listen to voice actors like Stephanie Nadolny, Rick Robertson, Jen Silverman, and so many more. But do that. Share it with your family and friends and just get the word out there because there's something on this podcast for everybody. And now, without further ado, it is my pleasure to bring on Randall Shane. Randall, brother, thanks for being here tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, dude. And as we're talking right now, I see the wrestling on in the background, so how how fitting is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm in my little makeshift studio here, my old office that's now my daughter's room. Absolutely. Um, they Those kids you know, take so priority. Yeah. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yes, I got my sir. little corner here with my computer set up and then the TV in the background. So and then also, too, how fitting. There's a Christmas tree right over your shoulder there. So we are in the full yeah, that, holiday swing. That's actually been up since last year. She wouldn't <laughs> let us take it down. Nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with that. I got a neighbor that's had some uh, some lights around their shed up all night. So I, I can't judge at all. I actually took my Christmas lights down back in... February or March, and now I'm at the point where I wish I would have left them up. Yep, because blinking, here we are again. <laughs> Man, 2020 drags, 2021, we're already almost yep. at the end of October, so... Exactly. I give up on trying to keep up. I know we were uh, we were talking off air a little bit before we started rolling mics here, and we're going to have some big stuff coming in the works here, too, not only just talking about your time as a promoter today and not only as a wrestler as well but we're going to have some other guys on including past guest Vic the Bruiser and we're going to do some panel discussions I'll go ahead and drop that now about just the Kentucky scene and different things that we've all seen along the way share some stories and we're going to have the other guys share their perspective on some things we'll talk about today too because they've also worn the the wrestling promoter hat and there's a lot a lot of hardships that don't really get talked about that come with that as well but oh, definitely. before we jump into all that, man, tell me more about your story and what what got you to where you are now. Like, what made you not only want to be a wrestler, but what also made you want to put on the the promoter hat and the booker hat too? Like, what made you want to take on those responsibilities? Well, coincidentally enough, growing up, I hated wrestling. My dad would watch it Saturday, Sunday mornings. He would watch Memphis. I remember it. Clear as day, you know, every morning it would come on on the weekends, and I would go to my room and watch cartoons. He would stay in the living room and watch wrestling. One morning, he was watching WCW Power Hour, and I'll never forget this. Uh, he was in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and I was in the living room. Big Van Vader was walking out. Oh, man. At the time, he still had the head, blew the smoke. Mm-hmm. So that, I, I thought that was just amazing. I was like, who is this? I mean, in today's day and age, too, that visual in itself, this giant mastodon helmet on a 400 plus pound man like that's something that would stick out even in today's standards so that kind of hooked me right there yeah and then later in the show no it was actually that match also he was wrestling rick steiner for the wcw championship oh at the end actually i think it may have been highlights anyway at the end of the match scott steiner runs out to make the save he had just returned from a bicep injury Uh uh-huh and i was like oh who's this so like right then Never missed a show. Were they wearing the colorful, like, kaleidoscope singlets and everything, oh, too? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they had the full visual presentation that would attract a kid into that, too. Like, yes. it's just something. Yeah. Like, these guys look like real-life like superheroes. Like, cartoons come to life. Yes. So, I get yeah. it. So, and, like, that was around, I want to say, August or September of that year. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember that Christmas, wrestling figures galore. I mean, I had the WCW Galoob, I had the Hasbro, I had the AWA ring. They loaded me up, and I still have all that stuff. And fast forward several years, 2015, I was working for a group out of Central City called the WWA. Uh And every year they held a big event called One Night Only where they would bring in several stars. Well, Mm -hmm. they brought in that year was Tatanka and Vader. And both of them connections to my childhood because Tatanka was the first wrestler I was emotionally invested in. Because when he lost his first match to Ludwig Borga, never forget it. It was on a Sunday. It was mm-hmm. Halloween. Oh. I lost it. Like, I threw a fit. So, I told Tatanka about that, and he was very appreciative that I remembered that. But then I told, I had a moment to speak with Vader. He was in the back getting pumped up, and I told him, I was like, hey, look, introduced myself, and told him, I was like, I just want you to know you're the reason why I'm in this business. I told him the story about my dad watching it me hating it and then that morning seeing him walk into the ring mm-hmm. he's like brother he said thank you for that he said i really appreciate you telling me that that means a lot that is amazing i wouldn't be doing my job as a host if i didn't ask this question because um with last week's guest and vic the bruiser being on here he said when he was first breaking in you know like it was um even though it could be meant as a compliment if you said something like that to one of the older guys or the guys that came before you it could be a disrespectful a statement because you know essentially like you're without saying it you're calling them old there wasn't any kind of that trepidation or anything like that was it Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, he was as, like, you know, you hear horror stories about Vader. Vader was yeah. as nice as could be. I mean, he was a sweetheart. And this was right before he passed as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this was about a year, year and a half before he passed, yeah. Man, that, that's one of those moments that, like, you, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but that's an amazing moment to have right there. And that's something you'll never forget. No. And then... After you see that, you're hooked. You get the you get the galoobs and everything for Christmas. Right. Any wrestling that's on TV, I'm finding it. Every WWF show on the weekends, mm-hmm. Superstars Challenge, nice. um, All-American, WCW Power Hour, Saturday Night, Main Event, Worldwide. Nice. USWA, Smoky Mountain. I found it. So the Love weekends, it. I didn't leave the house. I was at home watching TV. Fast forward several, several years, I had a, I don't want to say backyard wrestling because at yeah. the time we were you know we were kids we were like eight nine so we didn't know what right what right or would grow into we would you know fake wrestle and okay i hit you now you lay down so the other one would lay down yeah so no you were with several neighborhood kids you know we all had our different characters mm-hmm. so i ran that and then when i got into high school me and a buddy we started a backyard company or not a company but a backyard promotion right it's still nothing like people know backyard ass today all the violence and everything yeah nothing like that nobody going to the hospital Uh, hopefully yeah exactly but we had a promotion here in bowling green called at that time it was vet city wrestling Mm -hmm. but years before bowling green had already been a rich territory for dale man yes jarrett's came through several times with uswa Mm -hmm. but uh i remember one sunday we were running a backyard show and we drew more than Vet City Wrestling did that night. Wow. So that night when we went to Vet City Wrestling, they were furious. I mean, they were, they were, and we were there every Sunday. So they knew yeah. who we were. And they were, they were mad. So the promoter, uh, JW Wildfire, he pulled me aside. He said, Hey, kid. He said, Look, he said, what you're doing is dangerous. Some of these wrestlers find it disrespectful. I'm not here to say any of that. If you want to be a wrestler, 
quit the backyard stuff and I'll train you. So he took me and two of my friends mm-hmm. and trained us for chump change. I mean, five, I think it was like $500. Wow. That's, a, that's not a bad deal. Uh, and, you know, well, no, you, exactly. You know, you're like, oh, okay. So we were on it. So that next week we started training. Absolutely. Now, I got a few questions to ask on all that, too. Um, but first off, I know JW Wildfire was my first technically Kentucky booking, and I think you helped yes. put that uh, together. Yes. So thank you for that. Yeah. Funny how that all ties in. But exactly, yes. Going back to your dad, with him being the big wrestling fan, as you started getting in with you first pursuing the backyard and then you know you get the opportunity to start the training and everything – how receptive was your family to that? Were they supportive? Were they concerned? Uh, <laughs> no, as soon as I started watching it, he kind of faded out oh, no. anymore. So it was just like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Quit doing this. Right, right. And yeah. then one more dad question, which I should probably ask it later on down the road. But as you got into promoting or you started working, getting on these shows with some of these guys like Vader that mm-hmm. may have been around when you first got hooked. Did you ever get the chance to introduce your dad to any of those and kind of bring it full circle uh, there? To one, Bobby, well, two, Bobby Eaton and Ricky Morton. Oh, couldn't have picked any two nicer guys, man. Uh, that is awesome. Um, it was uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. I was booking for a promotion here in Bowling Green called ICW, and we ran a show. I ran, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to always refer to ICW as my promotion, even though I wasn't promoter, I was the booker. Right. That was it. Was my baby, and you can ask any of the workers that worked for me for that promotion. That was my baby. I booked a show called Breaking Point, and when Dale Mann ran Bowling Green, I mean the houses were, I mean, 150, 200 people. Yeah. But by the time I started wrestling, Bowling Green was lucky to draw over 50 people, and that's a shoot. Even the years as I progressed, mm-hmm. Bowling Green was still lucky. I, I don't think I ever wrestled in front of a crowd over a hundred in Bowling Green. Yeah, and that sounds about um, right for some of those first few JW shows that I, that you got me on as well. Yeah, yeah. So I booked the show called Breaking Point, mm-hmm. and you can ask Anthony Wayne about the building. It was oh my god, it was a terrible building. It was called the Hands Club. Oh, me and Derek Neal, we always joke about it. <laughs> me and John Wayne Murdoch, I'll always tweet him every now and then about it. He'll be like, "Oh my god, I forgot about that crap hole." <laughs> but it would remind it had the ECW Arena feel to it. Yeah. But so I booked the show, and I booked Ricky Morton and Bobby. Uh, we did a Dream Partner Tag Team Match Main Event. So it was me and Beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Val Joyner and Ricky Morton. We drew over 120 people. And uh, that night I got to introduce Bobby Eaton and Ricky Morton to my dad. Oh, man, that is yeah. amazing. That is amazing. And then going back to JW, you know, pulling you aside, kind of giving the, that come to Jesus meeting with you. You said you and a couple of your friends from the backyard promotion, uh, you know, jumped at the opportunity. Did anybody else from that group consider it? Were they kind of like mad that you guys went that route and kind of put the end of the backyard from there? What was that like? No, not really. Everybody else, it was just a hobby to them. They weren't really right, right. in it. They were just doing it for fun. Even the other two that trained with me, one dropped out, I think, a month into training. The other one actually finished training with me. Mm-hmm. Um, we teamed up a few shows, and then he went to the Army and then just left wrestling altogether. I got you, which that's so, understandable, too, because that's a pretty big yeah. you know, commitment in itself right there, obviously. So once your training started – how was it for you to adapt to everything having that, you know, the we'll call it the backyard background? Like, were you comfortable taking bumps and learning the mechanics of everything? 
Yeah, and you know, and it's crazy too because, and I didn't even really think about this as I was training, but years down the road, I started like I would actually bump when we were doing backyard. Yeah, you know, like falling on the ground didn't bother me. Like, and at that time, the first season of Tough Enough had just came out. So you were kind of learning as yeah. you were watching that show. I don't even think we used mattresses when we were doing backyard. We just uh-huh. had like maybe thin pieces of carpet padding. Yeah. So I would roll those out. And as I would see on Tough Enough, I would just get in the backyard and bump. So like actually our first training session, they were really shocked how fast we took to bumping and running the ropes and everything. That's impressive. And did you ever feel any resentment? Like I know JW was probably the one that was the most hands-on with training you, but like any of the other guys that have been more experienced at that time, because again, you like you hear the negative connotations to the backyard wrestling and everything. Did you ever feel like there were any of the guys there that kind of harbored some heat or some resentment to you guys out of the gate, but then that kind of changed as they saw that you guys were actually capable of picking this stuff up and adapting to it? No, not at all. Um, everybody was actually pretty hands-on. And actually, Kid Dynamite was the one that actually kind okay. of... I got my most training out of. He yeah. actually took me on the road. So him, uh, John Noble, Eddie Browning. Mm-hmm. I mean, JW kind of like showed us the basics, but it was really those three that actually got yeah. in the ring with us and had us bumping and feeding and showing us all the techniques, reversals, and all that. Again, just it's funny how so much of this stuff ties back together. Kid Dynamite, he may be a little bit shorter than me, but we're same height or whatever. But for whatever reason, at different points throughout my career, like he was one of the first guys that wasn't a stadium in guy when I trained there that I got to work with. And being so fresh in, like I learned so much just being out there with him and him not, you know, calling anything in the back. And then we tag down the road, we work again, but it was always like, even at my greenest and most fresh into everything stage, like that guy was just the perfect person for me to work with. Like he was so good at what he did, despite like what some other people may say about his reputation or whatever, but he was always good to me. And I can't say a bad thing about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I actually have a tattoo. Where's that? It's, you can't see it on camera, but <laughs> it is a stick of dynamite. Oh, nice. It's, it says 9-23-01, which was my first match, September 23rd, 2001. And it's in the stick of dynamite because it was against Kid Dynamite. Oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. So, I love it. So once you started training, how long was it till you got your first match? And then from there... Did you feel any nervousness or anything different from performing in one of those crowds than what you did from performing in one of your backyard crowds? Because the backyard crowd was different. You know, they knew what they were there for. Yeah. They knew what they were going to get. They weren't going to get this fancy WWF type show. Right, right. But these people that went to these indie shows, they were expecting a little more. So my first match was seven weeks into training. Yeah, so I lived only five minutes from the building uh-huh. that they ran. So one night after training, we were in the back. I didn't even know what my name was going to be. I didn't have gear yet. You know, right, I was right. still training. The booker, Killer Con, Terry Adonis, he says, hey, kid, he says, uh, I'm short a man. You want to work? You know, and I'm just sitting there. I didn't know he was talking to me, so I'm just – he says, hey, Joey. I was like, yeah. He said, you want to work tonight? What? Come again? It said, uh, I need a heel to work. Kid Dynamite, you want to work? Uh, I, I, I can. It says, you got your stuff? I can go get it. I'm five minutes away. So I run home. Me and Jason, who was the other one that was training with me, uh-huh. we ran home. We was like, okay. I was like, what's my name going to be? 
we were going to be a tag team. That was the plan. They were training us. We were going to be a tag team. So he was, I, I can say this now, he was illegally training. He was 17. He wasn't 18 yet. I got you. And what you hear more about that once you get into, especially in Tennessee, like yeah. parents parents sign yeah. off on it, whatever, right, wrong, indifferent, but it right. unfortunately happens. So we run home. I was in the crowd every week, so everybody knew my name was Joey. Yeah. So one of my backyard names was Joey Houston. Primetime Joey Houston. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that's going to be my name tonight. What music am I going to use? Jason's like, use Last Resort. I was like, okay, so I'll use Papa Roach Last Resort. Right, right. What am I going to wear? So I get in my bag and all my backyard stuff, and I pick out a pair of Jeff Hardy pants and just a flashy shirt, and primetime Joey Houston was born. And that was that was kind of like the uh, the go to gear. It seemed like at that time at that too. Time, like the yes. Hardy Boys were yes. the hot thing, so everybody had that gear. Did, and did you have like knee pads or boots or anything like that too? Or um, I had a pair of volleyball knee pads that we got for training. Uh huh. And I can't remember if the first match I wore a pair of boots. Kid Dynamite gave me a pair of boots, which I still have today. Nice. Just it was a pair of his old boots. Actually, it was a pair of his brother's old boots. Okay. I can't remember if I had those boots on that night or if I just wore tennis shoes. Right, but I did right. have a pair of volleyball knee pads, those big, clunky Franklin. Yeah, I know. The, kind of the bubbly, had almost the, the bubble-looking ones. Ha- yes, had the elastic on the back, so you got that elastic burn under your knees. Oh, that was the worst. Yes. That was the worst. So... Once you get through that match, what like what are you feeling after that? Like, was it just like an emotional dump? Was it like I I'm glad that's done? What was that like for you? I was glad it was done, and I shit the bed as soon as the bell rang. I froze. Oh man! I, mean, I was in the corner. I froze. We lock up, and I'm like, I forgot. <laughs> so he just, he he took me along. I mean, it going back i'm sure that i haven't seen it in years right uh, right i'm sure the match wasn't that bad but to but me we're, we're our own worst critic it's as simple yeah. as that yeah even today i'll see i'll watch matches back and i'm like i ain't watching this ever again no and you can always think of 10 different things you could have done different in that moment oh, too so from there what was it like as far as getting other bookings did you predominantly stay in bowling green did you start traveling more how did you so, get out there with all that so they ran Bowling Green every Sunday. So every Sunday I was in Bowling Green. Coincidentally, the week after my first match, he took me to Gallatin. So okay. I got to experience the S- the Gallatin experience. Tim Scruggs, SWA, yep. where I worked. Kid Dynamite again. Mm-hmm. I think the following Saturday, we went to... It was either Salina, Tennessee or Livingston, Tennessee for IWF Tennessee. Okay. Mike Promo was booker there. Yeah. Uh, I got to work. Uh, probably would have been Salina then, because I think that was his that was his territory up there. Yeah. So between Bowling Green, Vet City Wrestling, Saturdays in Gallatin, and then periodically Salina for IWF, those were my three main. Mm-hmm. So I started in September, October, and November. Vet City Wrestling moved. They were at Reed's Restaurant, which was on Center Street or Third Street mm-hmm. in Bowling Green, which is kind of downtown. Yeah. They moved over off of Russellville Road, which was closer to the interstate. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually leased a building, so it was their own building. Yeah. That was to become the training school and all that stuff. It never came to be. But after two weeks, JW kind of cl- silently closed shop, but had Mike Porter come in and started running NWA main event shows Yep, on Sunday nights. 
So I started working a little bit in Columbia for Porter. Mm-hmm. First match there, coincidentally, was Kid Dynamite. I was going to say, were you also there during the that famous New Jack Gypsy Joe situation? Were you there during any of that? Yes. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment. But continue, okay. I didn't mean to cut you off here, but continue your story. <laughs> no, you're fine. So my timeline may get a little fuzzy because there was a bunch of jumping around at this point. Yeah, understandable. I remember Jeff Daniels. God, yes. I can't believe I forgot him because I love disturbing behavior as a tag team. Yes, him and Tim uh, Ernesto. Yes. Uh, so uh, Jeff Daniels was like, okay, he's like, we're going to bring you up to Columbia. They, they had their local TV. Uh-huh. Oh, and actually, I want to say this may have been a year later because NWA TNA had already started and yep. NWA had created their X Division title. Yes. And uh, Livewire Chris Vaughn was the NWA main event X Division champion. So Jeff Daniels wanted to kind of get the Houston name off of me. Uh-huh. And at that time, Jackass was a big, popular yeah. show. So he was going to name me Joey Knoxville. <laughs> And they oh, wanted me no. to do some jackass stunts. Yeah, hey, I, look, I'm getting on TV. I'm going to yeah. work Chris Vaughn for the X Division title. You know, I'm going to be putting this program with him. Yeah. I'm up for it. Absolutely. I mean, so, that's an opportunity. Right? He was like, okay, he's like, just come up with some ideas of some stunts you want to do. You know, we'll film some vignettes. We'll run them on TV. I was like, okay. So I uh, create this list. I don't even remember what was on the list. I just remember handing him to the list, handing him the list one Sunday night or Saturday night. That following Monday on Raw, they have Tommy Dreamer starting to do the jackass angle. No. So they dropped it. Oh, no. It's so funny so, how stuff like that happens when you just you get that seed planted in your mind or it gets put out in the universe and then, oh. Yeah. Oh, I, no. and like So, like, my program with Chris Vaughn was mixed and everything. Oh, it's man. like, oh. That, it's crazy how that stuff happens. It, it really is. Speaking of crazy, I feel like that is a good segue to circle back into this. Going back to Columbia, that match I just referenced with uh, with New Jack and Gypsy Joe that is on yes. YouTube now. New Jack has unfortunately passed away, but he was known as one of the most notoriously violent, and the stuff he did was not scripted. I will go ahead and say right. that now. You can Google it, YouTube it, whatever you want to do. Watch Dark Side of the Ring. You'll see what I mean. And then there was Gypsy Joe, the world's oldest, legitimately oldest professional wrestler. His goal was to die in the ring. That did not happen. But he also wanted whoever he was in the ring with, if he died in the ring, to take that character and run with it in Japan where he was a legend. These two have a match in Colombia, and everything just goes off the rails, it seems like, from the get-go. Like chairs being thrown at each other swinging of baseball bats and i'm i'm underselling it so go look this up if you feel so inclined to do so but i've seen some things go crazy and go sideways not only in matches but in the locker room as well with you still being so fresh into everything like what were you thinking during that whole situation oh there what was that like so, in- it was crazy because okay so i had three different perspectives on this mm-hmm. okay because if it wasn't for ECW, in high school, I kind of fell out of wrestling. Yeah. And then ECW brought me back into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's that. So New Jack, was to me, was on this pedestal, okay, as an independent wrestler. Oh, yeah. Gypsy Joe was, again, on this pedestal. He was my third match. Really? Yes. I was under a hood, but he was my third match, yes. So you got the legendary um, chops. Yes. Oh, boy. 
as he was in his prime, I'm sure they were not as hard. Right. But you can still feel them. Oh, yeah. I'm just thankful he didn't keep his nails sharpened anymore because they were, oh. I had heard. Oh, that yeah. He would keep two of his nails sharpened. That way, when he chopped, and if he didn't like you, just drag it across. He, yes. Ugh. Yeah, there's so some there weird stuff point. in wrestling, so I'm just putting that out there, too. <laughs> so there was the New Jack pedestal, there was the Gypsy Joe pedestal. And then I have to look at it as like, I'm this new kid, I'm only barely a year in the business, and these two are about to go at it, which I'm thinking is going to be this incredible hardcore match. Yeah. And it goes away. I don't remember too much from that match, except going back and looking at it on YouTube. I just remember there was a lot of chaos in the locker room. Yep. Leading up because I don't know if direction had changed before they went out the curtain. Somebody wanted something. New Jack wanted it one way, something. And I've heard stories that something inappropriate may have been said to one party or the other. You know, he said, she said. I do remember. I'm pretty sure it was Kid Dynamite was there, too. I'm pretty sure it was me and him. We left during the match, so we didn't get to see everything that went down. Right, right. We heard about it. I want to say we didn't even make the drive home and we had got the call that, oh my God, you're not going to believe what just happened. Oh God. But that next week, it was a different feeling. Man. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I think you've done some shows or you did some shows with Gypsy Joe since then. Like, did that ever come up? Like, did you guys ever have a Uh, conversation about that? No, no. Probably for the best. <laughs> but, and like every time I was in Gallatin, you know, Gypsy Gypsy was there on Gallatin. If he didn't have a supporter, didn't have a show, or if he didn't have a show anywhere else, Joe was always in Gallatin. Yeah, he would so always show up him, there. Yeah, so I saw him several, several times. Right. So as we're getting into your career a little bit, you're traveling more, you've got an established loop of shows that you're working. How far into everything do you start getting the promoter? Like the promoter start looking at you to help book the shows. Growing up when I had the backyard stuff going on, uh-huh. I had this imaginary, I guess some would call it a fantasy, a fantasy promotion. Fantasy yeah. Fed, yeah. Okay. That I had written down on paper. It was a weekly thing. I would write cards out circle the results and i wish i still had the notebooks because i mean they would be probably three four different notebooks filled with these results right so right i always had that mindset that yeah this was something i was interested in and you know um at that time growing up magazines were a big thing mm-hmm. so you got to hear about a lot more so that was always something i was curious in and interested in right jw would often ask me for just opinions he wouldn't say hey book this he would just like ask me for opinions yeah and that's a huge, um, uh, huge nod of encouragement right there as well. Yeah. At the time, you know, I was just a young kid coming off the street. Not yeah. off the street, but out of the backyard. Yeah. Still fresh into everything. Yeah. It was the, I guess they were going into the Attitude Era. No, it was the um, Ruthless Aggression Yeah, era. right after the Attitude Era. Right after, yeah. So they were looking for these fresh concepts. So they were just wanting new takes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was just giving him opinions and everything. So when he closed in November... Porter ran Bowling Green for a few months. Then JW's brother started running Bowling Green in February of the following year. Right. They ran for about a year, maybe not even a year. And then Bowling Green was kind of like left for dead. I was like, all right. I said, I'm going to get something going. You know, I've, I've been wanting to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a shot. So I just got the ball rolling. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to be the promoter, I'm also going to be the booker. Yeah, I got these ideas that I wanted to do. I don't want somebody else coming in. And, and at the time, I really didn't know how everything worked. Looking at it today, I was way too young to do it. 
I lost way too much money than I needed to lose at that time. Right. Because I didn't really know everything I was in. My first show, I forgot to book a referee. Yeah. You've got, you got to focus stuff. on seven or eight different other things and something may slip through the cracks. Like there's just so much going on that you've got yeah. to try and rein it all in. And that's, that's a huge undertaking and, in itself. And this was 2004. So I started in 2001. 2002 goes, 2003 go. I'm working, you know, Gallatin, Salina, Bowling mm-hmm. Green, uh, Big Clifty, Kentucky. Yeah. And then, so 2004, later into 2003, nobody joined Bowling Green. So 2004, I start putting the pedal to the metal. Trying to think when, I want to say I got my license from, because Kentucky's a athletic commission state. Yes. So you got to have all the proper paperwork, license, insurance, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that in October of 2003 and slated my first show for January of 2004, which is actually funny because when we started UPW, I got the promoter's license for UPW in October of 2016, ran the first show in January of 2017. And I remember you were actually the one that pulled me out of my first retirement or hiatus, whatever you want to call it too, but we're going to- Not just you. No, not just me. Scott Sexton also. Yes. You and Scott, so- and that, this could be a whole podcast in its own. Oh, it, and trust me, we're gonna UPW. we're gonna talk about that too. We're gonna do just but, the uh, the sprinkling of UPW today, but we're gonna do a full on deep dive into that one. Okay, then that promotion first, my first promotion, two thousand four. Yep, New Era Pro Wrestling, and I only ran like four or five shows mm-hmm. out of that, and then kind of closed the doors. The building I was running actually went out of business. At the time, I didn't know how to get in touch with the armory. I didn't know right, right. any of that stuff. So I just kind of let it be. So I got a, I got a question as far as that goes, and this is probably going to be something that comes up when we get into the UPW situation as well. You know, speaking with Eddie Brown a few episodes back, he runs a show up in Wisconsin, and one of the biggest things he said was, when you're trying to get a building, you may hit a situation where the owner just doesn't like wrestling, and they'll cancel you just because, like, just they don't want wrestling there anymore. What kind of situation yeah. was that like? Or did you already have places scoped out where you knew these people liked wrestling? So it was easier to have that conversation and easier to get that building booked. So when I started new era pro wrestling, Reed's restaurant, I knew I wanted to run there. I also wanted to run at the Southern Kentucky fairgrounds. Yeah. Because as a kid, that's where Dale Mann ran his shows. Yeah. So on Sunday nights when I was a kid, we would go to Lampkin Park at the fairgrounds to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to run there. I want to say I actually checked with the fairgrounds first, and they had some construction or something going on yeah. for the first part of January, so I couldn't get in. I was like, okay, well, let me run Reed's. So I went and talked to Mr. Reed, who – it was a restaurant, and on the back side of the restaurant was this, like, little catering banquet hall. Uh-huh. Low, low ceilings, so you had to use a low boy ring. Right, right. So he's like, yeah, he said – he quoted me the rent the rent was outrageous like way too much for this building plus he he got to sell concessions since he had the yeah. restaurant so that was more money out of the pocket i was just eager and happy to get this going i didn't care absolutely so i, I booked reed's restaurant i want to say it was january 4th 2004 was the first show i ran there just the just the one show mm-hmm. and then that following week we were supposed to go to the fairgrounds their construction wasn't finished so we had no venue right I was working third shift at Walmart at the time, and I was talking to this guy, this new guy that started, and he's like, hey, so you run wrestling shows? I was like, yeah. I said, I've been wrestling for a couple of years, and I just started this promotion. 
said, well, I run uh, the Southern Kentucky Sports Academy. You know, we teach baseball to kids and all this. He said, uh, I got a big enough place if you want to come check it out. Maybe set up a ring. Wow. Like, okay. So that morning when we got off, we drove over there. And, like, I loved the place. It was right? just like this little warehouse kind of. Um, and sure enough, it had enough space for the ring. We could set up a backstage area. Nice. I was like, well, what do you charge for rent? He's like, man, I, I honestly, I don't know. I said, well, what about this? He said, let me rent it for free or just let me hold shows here. You run concessions. You can keep concessions. I keep the gate. I was like, okay, that sounds fair. Fair enough. So we ran three shows there. I brought in Nigel McGinnis there. Nice, nice. After the three shows, the Southern Kentucky Sports Academy closed, and we were left without a building. Right. I got to ask here because, again, this is something that's going to come up with UPW as well, whether it was um, weather closings or the armory needed it for for military training or hurricane relief, whatever it was. When you keep hitting speed bumps like that and you keep having those setbacks like – what is the mentality for you at that point? How do you keep it going? And then also, too, how do you communicate that to talent that may not be local or know the situation locally, like a Nigel McGinnis or somebody else that you may be bringing in for that? What, like, Walk me through how you processed it and kept yourself going through everything. Like right now, it's a piece of, like, if that was to happen today, it's a piece of cake because social media, cell phones, you had cell phones back then, but they weren't as, as high tech. As- yeah. Wasn't yeah, a computer in your hand. Not not everybody had one. Right. Whereas now everybody, you know, ninety eight percent of society has a cell phone. Yeah. Who doesn't have um, one? But and then social media, you could send them a tweet, send them a message on Facebook, whatever those other ones are. Yeah. Snapchat, Instagram. E- e- easier contact these days than it was exactly. back then. Back then, not so much. I had I did have a few people from out of town, Hex and Haley Hatred. Mm-hmm. They came up from Cincinnati. Um, and I didn't know until the night before he told me this on a Saturday, we had a show the next day. Yeah. So like I had no way of telling everybody, unfortunately, Hex and Haley had a show that Saturday night. The only number I had for them didn't have a voicemail box. Oh, no. or the voicemail box was full. Yeah. So they ended up driving down. No show. Eric, the dragon Andrews, he was going to come down once that, that Sunday. He wasn't booked, but he was coming down to, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, anytime you want to come down, come on down. I'll get you on the show. Yeah. So he came down that Sunday. No show. So stuff like that's frustrating, you know, and I, I can understand it from a talent point of view, you know, yeah. but it, it sucks for me too, because I feel I let them down because right. they spent that money. You bear that responsibility. No yeah, exactly. Exactly. I understand it. I understand it. Now with that too, with that building closing and everything, did your focus shift back to just being more of a performer or did you want to continue running shows? And then we're going to jump ahead a little bit with the part two of that question. What was going on when Terry England approached you about booking for his shows? Because I know you reached out to me about working those shows probably late 2008, 2009 into 2010. What And you were wearing both hats at that point because we had a program and a storyline with each other. What was that like so, and how did that start? After New Era closed, I knew I still wanted to run shows eventually, but I was going to take some time off. I actually want to say I took a short break from wrestling. I didn't even wrestle any shows mm-hmm. for maybe six months um, because I was working a lot. Um, I was working thirds. And then I want to say 2005, I had a contact. There was a little boy here in town that had, I don't want to say it wrong. It was some 
type of cancer. Yeah. So we wanted to do a benefit show for him. So one of the old referees from Vet City got his promoter's license so we could run the show. And I actually booked this show together. I reunited uh, Vic the Bruiser and Corey Williams. Oh, nice. Yeah, for the first time. And I can't tell you how many years. And then I think that. Vic was already in the venue. Corey shows up. Corey's coming down the hallway and like Vic sees Corey. You, you, you see those videos on YouTube where it's like the soldier yeah. surprises. Yeah. And like, oh man. Like it was like that. I mean, they run up, they hug. It's like, oh man, it's like I made this moment. I don't necessarily <laughs> know if it was on that same level of, you know, fast forward a few years, but you once again brought them back together to work me and, and Zach Hartnell too. And I was like, I did. And that's something that's, I think we talked about with Vic last week too. So, I mean, it's like you do some pretty impactful stuff in that, in that position. I mean, I, I try, I mean, that's, you gotta get that emotion, man. I right. Mean, if we as performers have that emotion, we can relate that to the audience. That Absolutely. Audience that emotion. If you're having fun, um, they'll but, pick up on it. Yeah, exactly. So fast forward. So we do that benefit show. Uh, we raise, I want to say two, $3,000 for the little boy's family. And then the guy decides he wants to start running some shows. So yeah. I book a few shows for him. He screws some people out of pay. I leave the promotion. 95% of the roster leave with me. Understandable. Understandable. Um, another guy gets his license. I become his booker. So forth, so forth, so forth. Right, right. And that's where the ICW promotion came to be that I consider my baby. I never worked for Terry England until 2009. Okay, so that was still relatively fresh from when you started bringing me in there, too. Yeah. I don't know the reason why I was never booked. When I got in the business, you know, Kid Dynamite took me on the road with him, you know. But I didn't have a lot of people telling me, hey, do this, hey, do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Right, right. So I just went to shows with Kid Dynamite and, you know, whatnot. So I tried getting on some UCW shows, but I I could never... Kid Dynamite tried to get me on UCW shows, but I could they would never book me. Terry, I don't know if it was Terry or who, but I could never get booked. Terry even ran a couple shows in Bowling Green, and I never got booked. Wow. So fast forward to 2009, 2009 the guy who used to manage me, his name was Big E. Mm-hmm. Not that Big E. Right, right. <laughs> he was kind of booking for Terry a little bit. Yeah. He's like, hey, Terry's going to start Bowling Green again. Do you want to come? Uh, you know, come work. I was like, no, I don't think so. So a few weeks went by. He's like, hey, Terry's bringing in Jerry Lawler to Caverna. He said, you want to come meet, talk to Terry and try to get you on some shows? I was like, man, I said, I, I, I don't know. It's like, I've, I've never been booked by UCW. I've tried getting booked. They would never book me. So I don't know if there's any heat there or whatever. For whatever reason, uh, I said, I think I'm just going to sit out. Yeah. Well, so he kept on. So eventually he had me come to Caverna. Talk to Terry, you know, and we still don't know why I was never booked. Terry um, probably doesn't know either, but Terry, we need yeah, answers. Yeah, you know. We'll get that uh, on the round table. There we go. <laughs> but that became the relationship with me and Terry ever since then. I kind of look at him as a father figure. Absolutely. In the promoting world. Even when I started UPW, he was one of the first persons. I was like, hey, look, I'm starting this promotion. Um, I want you to be a part of it. Yeah. I want to have a working relationship with UCW. Anything you can teach me you know i know i've done this before but i want to do this right this time yeah absolutely um, same, it was the same thing with vic too like i went to vic i was like hey look I said any ideas you have i'm open to so i didn't really book for terry because terry likes doing his own booking yeah but he would have me contact guys and you were one of the guys that i wanted to bring in for him to use right because um, i remember i was booking for jw for mid-south wrestling mm-hmm 
and you had contacted me about coming up for some bookings. Yeah. And I had seen your name floating around the message boards. You know, at the time there was message boards. Yep. And MySpace. I was like, yeah, I said, come on up. Uh, I think at the time we were still running Sundays. Yep, yep that was it. Because I know I just moved into my dorm down in Murfreesboro Drove up there for that show and then drove back. Like my first show up there was the night before my first classes for the first day oh, wow. of the semester that year. So like, ugh, that so was a... the thing that stuck out about you with me was I remember during intermission you come up to me and you were this nervous little kid. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> and you had promo shots. You're like, is it okay if I go out and sell these? Absolutely. <sighs> you you were the only one out of. How many ever shows I booked before then, you were the only one to come up and ask if you could go out and sell something. Nobody else would go out and sell nothing. Nobody would go out and interact with fans. Damn. You were the first one. And that always stuck with me because I was like, okay, this kid gets it. He wants to. I can't even tell you because I completely forgot about that. Thank you for that. And some of the stuff you saw on me in the message boards back in the day, I was uh, greener than a goose turd. So. Thank you for for those opportunities, and again, thank you for giving me the chance to get better. Thank you for letting me do that, and I don't remember if anyone sold any or bought any pictures from me. I'm going to say for good story purposes, they did, so thank them as well, but (laughs) yeah, thank you for just, like you said, taking a chance on this little tiny-ass nervous kid, because I was way out of my element. Like, you look at some of the guys I was working, Davey Wright or uh, Trash Can Graham, you know, like, being in there with those big guys, and I'm like five foot five on a good day. And I want to say, I don't remember exactly... But I want to say that night I had you up against Derek Neal. He was one of them. I know one of the nights I did a tag match, and I can't remember who I was with, but I think uh, you had me in there with him as part of like his and Richard Lowe's storyline yeah. because they were building to a street fight, and I was in there for something, but I can't remember all of it. But I remember, uh, I do remember working Trash Can and Davey in a tag match at one point, and that's like two Goliaths, half a David, and I can't even remember who I was tagging with for that match either. But yeah, there were some so, fun fun matches in there. And then, so I remember uh, when Terry asked me for some ideas, you know, I pitched you, and there was a few other ones I pitched, but I knew coming in, I wanted to team you with Seth Ledoux. Yes, and I was, oh Seth, man. Seth had just finished training, and he was doing the Canadian gimmick, yep. and you were still doing the Irish thing. Yes, sir. So I wanted to bring y'all in as a team and call y'all the Irish-Canadian Connection, the yes. ICC. ICC. Yeah. I think it was uh, it was uh, Somerset, Kentucky. Yes, it was one of the. It was uh, Somerset, and there was another one because this was like we would load up. It was me and a few other guys from Nashville. We would load up and make these three and a half, four hour drives up for these afternoon shows or evening shows, yes. whatever it may be. Then we would turn around and make it back. But I remember one of them. I think okay. you know where I'm going, so, so I'm gonna let you finish it. Okay, so uh, okay, so I think the first show you had was the Somerset. That was an afternoon show. Yes, yes. And then we brought you into Monticello. Yes, that that's remember, the one. That's the one. I remember you getting on the mic <laughs> and you get on the mic. And you're like, "Thank you, Monticello." <laughs> And it popped all of us in the back. I don't remember what it was, but I this was back in the days before our phones had GPSs as well. So I drove yeah. by this building like five times trying to get a hold of somebody, and I was already in a bad mood. I was like, ah! So I was just trying to find any way I could to lighten the mood, and it was just like, well, something simple as that, and it made the people mad, too. It did. 
But I forget what it was, too, but I think Seth and I were supposed... I forget who your tag partner was, but Kid Dynamite, funny how he circles back into all this, he ended up being your tag partner to fill in for the guy that night, too. He'd already worked once in the mat, or once in the evening, and then he comes back and works that tag match with us, too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be me and Charles Colton versus yes. you and Seth. Yes, And Charles, uh, he was either got injured or no-showed, one of the two. I can't remember what it was because that's like twelve years ago at this point. But yeah. man, those—I mean, those were some fun times, though. So you get into all that. You still—you're still doing a little bit of the booking, and you're helping out. You're helping bringing guys in. You're still yeah. wrestling. You start a family somewhere in there too. How do you juggle the family, the job, and wrestling all together? How does how do you maintain all that? It's rough. Um, I mean, as you know, I met my wife. In 2002, at a wrestling show, uh-huh. it was uh, Big Clifty, Kentucky. It was an afternoon show for a promotion called Big Clifty Brutal Wrestling. She was leaving. We just kind of locked eyes, uh-huh. you know, didn't really say anything. Yeah. And then at that time, you know, all the wrestlers had their own websites. Yep. And uh, live journals and all that. So she found mine and shot me a message. Oh, and, wow. Know, we talked back and forth. So she made the first move then. She made the first move, yes. Nice. She never lets me forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was 2002. And 2016, we get pregnant. Yeah. No, 2015, we get pregnant. Yep, because your daughter, daughter she was about two years old, I think, when we... When I did my fir- my final uh, UPW show at the time, or what I thought was going to be, you know, when I was done. So <laughs> I just remember her, you know, like clinging onto you in the back and everything. And it's like you're sitting there doing the payouts for the night. She's right there in your arm, or you're oh, trying yeah, to post yeah. a booking sheet. She's attached to the hip to you. So I mean, like. Well, and it's funny because I finally got my hands on the, all the video footage from UPW. Oh, and thank I, God. I watched some of the stuff a while back and somebody had left the camera rolling during cleanup one night. And so there you see my wife with my one year old, two year old little girl in her arm, picking up chairs and folding chairs and sweeping. And so I show her and she's like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. It's a family (laughs) business, man. So was she supportive during all this or was she kind of like, well, we got a baby on the way. Maybe it's time to put some of that on the back burner. Like what was all that like? So, me and Seth had talked about creating UPW back in 2015. Mm-hmm. It was like September, I want to say September of that year. Yep. He kind of pitched me pitched me the idea of starting a company, and I was all for it. And then in November of that year, we found out that we were going to have the baby. So, right. I was like, hey, brother. <laughs> so, we're going to have to put things on pause. Pause button. So, uh, you know, we put it on pause. The idea never left my head, though. Always yeah. Knew. And, like, even when New Era closed in 2004, I knew, you know, eventually. It's going to come back around. Happen. Yep. You know, I had ran one-off shows between 2004 and 2015, 16, just to scratch the itch. Yeah. So, and the baby was born in July of 2016. So, I remember around September, I was like, all right, really? I was like, uh, let's do this. So filed the paperwork, got her license in October, went bought bought a brand new ring, bought oh, that November. Yeah. But she she was supportive. Um, she knew it was going to be a struggle. I knew it was going to be a struggle. I didn't realize it was going to be as much of a headache as it turned out to be. Oh yeah, because you know you never expect the bumps in the road. Yeah, no, you uh, you try to be as optimistic as possible and keep the yeah. blinders on, so to speak. But unfortunately, those things do come too. But so she was very supportive. So. 
And I know, too, like, I was lucky enough to actually be, I think, the first match, period, for that company, too. I think it was me and Seth. Yeah. Then it went into a tag match with uh, me and Chad Stallings against you and Seth. Isaac Hassan. Man, I may be confusing his shoot name with... Caleb. Caleb. Oh, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Full apologies. My apologies. <laughs> I thought his real name was Seth. Sorry about that. That was kind of the idea from the beginning. Yeah. Because I originally wasn't even going to wrestle on the show. Right. Me I remember and, you me telling me Caleb, that, too. Me and Caleb had been teaming for two years for a group in Central, uh, the group in Central City. Yep. WWA. Uh-huh. Uh, promoted by Chris and Ray Waddell. Yes, sir. So... It was just going to be you versus Caleb. And the op- yeah. that was going to be the opening match. And he's like, man, he's like, you really don't want to wrestle on your first show. I was like, no, man, I've got all this to do. And even Seth was kind of pushing. He's like, you sure you don't want to wrestle on our first show? Come on. You know you want like, to. I was like, well, I've already got the card. And then I remember I had booked Chad for the Rumble. Yeah. And I knew there was history there with you and Chad. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I was like, oh, I could do a tag match. I was like, but I've already, I've already advertised Dyron versus Caleb. Yeah. And then I got, I started thinking back to one of my favorite pay-per-views was ECW November to Remember 96. Yep. And the very first match was Chris Candino versus Tommy Rogers. I think that's right. Yep. Okay. During the match. Lance Storm runs out. God, I cannot for the life of me remember who made the save for Tommy Rogers. I want to say my button Mikey Nova, maybe. Maybe. Nova. I'm I'm drawing a blank too. I'm I'm anyway, fuzzy so on my history. Somebody made the and so it turns into this tag match. Yeah. And I I loved how that just that just it flowed. Yep. It's like we're gonna do that. So here, you and Caleb. Stalling sets the ring. I make the save. We make it to the tag match. And here's another speed bump in itself right here too. I know. Um, that was originally supposed to be me, you know, Zach Hartnell making the run in because he was there. We did our promo pictures, but his licensing didn't come through. So every every plan that you had in the book for me and him as a tag team didn't end up coming to fruition until a few months like, later. Yeah, so like three shows later, yeah. Yeah, and it's like so, left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn. Here we go, here well, we go. But we made it work because exactly. we made the running story out of you and Chad where yep. during that match he walks off the apron. Leaves you in there yep. by yourself. That next show, he comes out and apologizes. Y'all tag again. He leaves again. Yep. And then you go out and work Vic. And then that next show, I think, is when we did the four way the four way match for the tag titles. Yes. yes. The original plan. I'm full spoiler. Some things are predetermined. Who said that? But <laughs> the original plan was finally supposed to be for me and Zach to you know win the tag titles, but we yep. pulled that quick swerve uh, because it was. It wasn't in Hopkinsville. I don't know why I'm thinking that, but we gave him the the feel good finish and let Shane Smalls, God rest his soul, and Trash Can yeah. Graham, you know, get that you know surprise win. They didn't even know it until it was supposed no, to. Yeah, yeah, until the, no the three count happened. Um, and so I came up with that for a couple of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to push you and Zach as the top. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of people thought the system were going to win the titles. Yes. I was really yes. Good that's right. With the Waddells. Okay. Well, I brought in the church, so some people thought maybe the church was going to win. The yeah. Titles. Nobody, nobody thought for a split second that Smalls and Trashcan were going to win the titles. Nope. And I'm glad I did that because because of Smalls, he was one of my favorite tag team partners. Yes. Uh, me and him teamed for several months for ICW. Uh, we became good friends. Trashcan, they both done a lot for me when I was booking ICW. Absolutely. So th- I'm really glad I went with that decision. And. 
Shane Smalls, like God rest his soul, he he passed. You know, I think maybe less than a year after that, and I I kind of put two and two together after the fact. But his situation, his story, was one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast so that people could have a place to talk. You know, have a place to feel like you know basically have a friend to talk to when they feel like there's stuff they can't get off their chest or they just you know they just need to let it go so i mean like yeah. getting to be one of his last matches too was like an absolute like uh, I, it's um, something i'm happy about but also at the same time like i wish wasn't a thing you know yeah it was one of my favorite matches was against smalls and i always used to tell him this too because we would go months without seeing each other yeah. and then we would see each other and then you know we'd give the big brother hug yeah just like nothing changed and he would we'd always look on your back bullshit. for zits or whatever it was you know just <laughs> yeah. whatever he could do but i'll never it was i remember it was a friday night i was down in franklin at the new south arena yeah kevin sullivan was there so yeah with i was ecstatic to meet kevin sullivan i get home and trash can called me. Yep. Trash can would call from time to time just to cut up. Yeah. He's like, which hey, I just saw him. I saw know. him a couple days ago. You know. Yeah. He's I was like, I just want to call and let you know we lost Smalls. It's like, what do you mean? It's like he's gone. What do you mean? I wasn't comprehending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't. I was like, what do you mean he's gone? Where'd he go? And then he told me, I was like. Like I couldn't, I was speechless. I, that's that's the same thing that happened to me too, because that's not something you would expect. Like, I think um, maybe like, gosh, I think maybe a week before, I just got a random Facebook message from him again. You know, it's like you don't see him for so long. I got a phone call. Uh, it was probably about two or three weeks before that. I got a phone call. I was at work, so I didn't get to answer the call, but he left me a voicemail. Yeah, he said, "Hey, it's your favorite Smalls. He was looking to get back in the business. Was want to know if yeah, I knew anybody." close around that had a ring that he could just go in and bump and get some rest yeah. off. And, and I, oh, dumbass me deleted the message. That's why I hardly ever delete messages anymore. Same. I, have, I still have on my phone a voice message from Tracy Smothers, mm-hmm. voice message from Jim Cornette, voice message from Rob Conway. Like I very rarely yeah. delete messages anymore. I, I still have one going back. Gosh, I think it was right after new year's 2013 he called me and I was just like, I had, I'd passed out because my, my grandmother had just passed away and it was like a, a whole three, almost three week ordeal because she went to the hospital right before Christmas Eve. And he left me this, this two minute long voicemail, sending his condolences, letting me know that he loved me, everything. Like I still have that message all these years later. And I, that's, that's awesome. That's one I can't get through. Like if I ever go back and listen to it, I cannot get through it without. You know, I have to put the phone down because that's somebody that should still be here. And I, I remember verbatim, spot on, where I was in the car with my wife. She was driving, and like it hit me so hard, like I couldn't even, I couldn't cry. Like I, I just felt like I'd been hit in the gut with a battering ram. Like it was just. No, I feel you. Because that's just some guy. Like, it's a Robin Williams situation. He was so outgoing, so over the top. Everybody loved him. But you would never know that all this stuff was going on behind the scenes. And that's just an absolute tragedy. And that's an understatement. Mm. I agree, brother. Took me a while to click with him because he was one of those guys, like your new Jack and Gypsy Joe, that he was the first match I saw at Stadium Inn before I started training. So it was like... Damn, he's almost my size. I if he can do it, I can do it. Then you get yeah. in there with him, and it just doesn't click right away. And it's like, damn it, you know. And it, it yeah. took a while, but it finally did. But 
You know, those few matches we got with him were an absolute... I would say he was like an Eddie Guerrero, even, because, like, if something he thought didn't go right in the match, you could see, you know, like, he would get yes, frustrated, yeah. but he would try and bring it back into it. But he was so good, man. Oh, yeah, he got it. He understood. Absolutely. That's one of those things where I wish we could have worked with them a little bit more, but then we had the transition to Vic and Corey, so it was still a it was still a win-win either way, but just for, you know, hindsight and memory's sake, that would have been a cool-ass thing to have. Yeah. Man, I don't want to keep going like down that road or else I'm going to end up, you know, making us both cry on here. And I don't know if anybody wants to hear that, but with that right there, like you said something that kind of piqued my interest where you said like, you know, people didn't know if the Waddells were going to win the tag titles because they were your friends or the church, you know, like, did you ever have to deal with that situation as the promoter and the booker where somebody would be like, Oh, you're just doing this because they're your boys. Cause you always hear that talk in the back, but a yeah. little bit. I don't remember who exactly, but I do remember like hearing a little bit. Oh, you only do that because they're your buddies. Or, yeah. You know. And you always get that, you know, when you put titles on people, you know, oh, it's just because they're the promoter's friend. Yeah. You know? That's one of those things, man. I looked at it as maybe it didn't pan out, but you knew you could trust that person because of exactly. the relationship. And in the fans' eyes, the belt is not a prop. You know, it means that somebody yeah. is good. Somebody is the best that you have to offer. And in my mind, it would always meant I got to work with more people. You were going to bring in people that I could learn from and work from. So that's how I looked exactly. at it. But again, it's like you have these ideas and you hear it with like Dusty Rhodes or Avern Gagne even. Sometimes they were the only person or their friends were the only people they could trust to execute their vision the way they wanted. Yes. Like if you ever explained it like that to somebody – did that did that light bulb click or did they know that they had an open door policy to come discuss ideas with you and just never did it? Because I have like tried to explain that before and I yeah. think some people they say they get it, but they still it's just oh he's just telling me that to Yeah. No, I, I get you. Just so, so I'll be quiet. It's a funny thing too, because again, I've I've said this with wrestling before, like you've got these big dudes, like these big macho men, again, not meaning Randy Savage, but you've got these big dudes with the fragilist egos. Like Yeah, it, yes. What was it like for you navigating that like? Because I know sometimes it's hard to quell those fires in the moment and calm everybody down and find that middle ground. Like, did you just realize, hey, sometimes I gotta leave it and let it be, or what was that like for you? Well, I guess really one really stands out. I mean, it wasn't as bad. I've got a, I can get a hot hit. I can get, like, you should see the people at work. They know if I come in, they know when I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think I've ever been like that at a show. I can't say I've seen it. um, But there has been some times where I might give a direction and somebody thinks, well, that's not good enough or that's that's not going to work. Why should I listen to you? I know that's that's not how my character does this. That's it's a work. Yep. I have a story. I have a point A, a point C, and I got to execute point B to get to C to get to C. Yep. So just go with me. It's going to make sense. Go. Absolutely. Man, that's one of those things, too, Like, and that my character wouldn't do this. I've heard horror stories about people saying that in the acting realm now, and it's just like, dude, it's a performance. Like, it's not so much about you, it's what you can do for the bigger picture. That's the thing that's lost today that uh, it really aggravates me, is they don't look at the big picture. They yep. look at their one specific match or what they're doing. They don't look at the entire yep. 
picture and that's uh, man i hate to say it but that has been a common theme with every wrestling guest i've had on here where it's it's not a big picture thing it's right now and it's what it's going to do to my image not you know like what it's going to do the further the storyline or bring another group of people in next week that may have never seen this show or keep more people coming back it's always right here and now and it's almost like cutting off your nose to spite your face just so you can stroke your fragile ego Yes. I hate that. I agree. And that was, I mean, I hate to say, like, that's one of those reasons that it was easier for me to step away and stay away because if you try to go with the flow and be the team player, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. But it is. You, you still. I mean, I've been lost in the shuffle. Oh, yeah. It's very easy. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I don't want to just show up and work the same person every time. And I'm not saying that that's how you booked me by any means, but just like in in general, you know, it's like, I don't want to show up and work somebody that I'm not going to learn from or that can't keep up with me. Not saying I'm the best by any means, but you you get where I'm coming from. And I want to actually show up, contribute to the show. I want to do my part. I want to entertain the fans and I want to have fun while I'm doing it. If I'm going to be away from my family, I want to know that I'm doing something worthwhile in that short time that I am. And I think that's something like you said, that's lost. Yeah, I get that. Needs to come back. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of things that need to come back. Oh yeah. And man, like I I could keep going forever and ever, but then again, we wouldn't get the chance to do that panel show and bring back some fresh material here. (laughs) So we still have a lot to unpack and that's going to happen because I mean, you mentioned James Carver, Terry England's come up, Vic's come up. All this stuff is going to come up in that roundtable panel conversation. And I'm going to go ahead and drop a little spoiler here for you as well. I've actually been in talks with some former guests, some future guests, and potential future guests about having some more of these roundtable discussions to cover different promotions that I've worked for, different life stories that we've worked, you know, that we've learned in that time frame or something that you know, it's changed our outlook on things that just came from a little random wrestling storyline or whatever it may be. So look for those to happen in the near future too. And this is one that I'm going to be looking forward to because not only with you, but you know, James Carver was one of the last guys that I wrestled for in Kentucky along with trash can. Terry England's the one that I'm actually going to be working for since Vic conned me out of, you know, coming out of retirement. So, (laughs) you know, there's so much meat on the bone there that I want to share and, You know, I know a lot of people aren't big on the wrestling thing, but I think it's going to be something that may pique their interest, especially when you hear it from like the storytelling and the entertainment side of things and how something went awry, but what the end goal was and how the, you know, going awry may have made it better. So there's a lot of things there. Trust me, like if if we do a part two of this and we... Oh, we will to deep dive into UPW. Yes. That is going to be very entertaining for... Oh, that one, and that may be a standalone in itself. Like, there's so much potential here that I want to do a standalone because you and I had so many ideas that we would talk about, but then the weather would bottom out, and here comes a, a snowstorm, so the roads and the armory are closed, and we can't do that finish that we came up with. And or So I got to thinking about that the other day because there was this fan. I remember that show because that was supposed to be the UPW uh, one-year anniversary show. Yep where we were bringing in James Storm and we had can we canceled it like 3 days before because there was threat of bad weather. Yes. And I put it up, I put it out on social media, you know. Show was canceled, you know. Well, it was it wasn't canceled, it was postponed. It was postponed like a week later. Right. But unfortunately James wasn't able to be there a week later. Yep. So we brought in Simon Dean. That's right. Oh. But, but there was a fan that messaged me that afternoon the day of the show. 
He's like, where are you at? The doors aren't open. Oh, no. Like, the, show's, the show's been postponed. Why? So I told him, at that time, the roads were fine. It yeah. It was snowing, but the roads were fine. So at 8 o'clock that night, one of my staff members lives over in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. At 8 o'clock that night, roads were solid ice. The parking lot of the armory was covered, and the... Arm, the road the armory is on is considered a secondary road, mm-hmm. so it doesn't get treated by the city. Nope. So, so that was going to be ice. The parking lot was ice. There was we may have got there, but we weren't leaving. Yeah. And a bunch and of wrestlers. What, and that's a... what people don't understand is you got to think about the safety of not just the fans of the wrestlers. Yep, and not everybody it, lives it, in that area either. Exactly, because you would have been coming from Tennessee. Yep. James Storm would have been coming from Tennessee. Yep. I mean, it, they don't think about these things. No, they Louisville don't. I had several people coming from Louisville. You know, I get sometimes there's that mentality of, oh, man, we got to get this show. Like, I, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm just, I got to get to this show. But like yep. I said, you don't think about getting home at that point. You don't think about having to take these secondary roads to get there. And it, bigger picture, again, it all comes back to getting the bigger picture and not just that being, that focusing on that one moment thing. But do like, that right there has me peaked for a round two, so I'm just going to go ahead and book it right now. We're going to have a round two strictly talking about UPW because that was kind of like where all these things could have come together, but oh yeah, fate yeah. just kept pushing it back or putting it to the side or whatever it was. So we're going to have that one, and then we are going to get some of these Kentucky roundtables in here as well. So there's going to be a lot more to come on here. But I'm going to make sure, too, in the notes that I have, like, your social media so they can keep up with everything, especially the United Pro Twitter and everything. I want to make sure people follow that. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with tonight? Well, I mean, you know, just thank you for listening. Keep checking out this podcast. If you are new to the podcast, go back to the archives. Several entertaining stories, guests, um, and not just from the wrestling world. I mean, I've listened to several different topics, and I've been intrigued by all of them. Thank you. Um, so you're doing a good thing here. I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate that. Uh, keep plugging away, brother. Yes, sir. And if you don't go back and listen and you don't subscribe, Vic the Bruiser will come at you and attack you with a flip-flop. So and you there's don't a little, want that. No, there's a little extra incentive for you. But, guys, again, thank you as well. And as we're getting into the holiday season, I hope you're you're using this to you know get you through, especially if it's a tough time of year for you, just to know, again, like we were talking about earlier in the Shane Smalls uh, situation, there is an opportunity out there for help. People do care. And there may be something on this podcast that may help you out of that dark time, and it doesn't matter who the guest is. So I hope you're sharing it with people. I hope you're being good to each other. I hope you'll like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and continue to subscribe. Hope you'll check out our sponsors, and I hope that as the holiday season comes up, you guys will just remember the reason for the season and enjoy the time with your family and be safe in your travels. Randall, I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know it's it seems like UPW was kind of like holding that umbrella over <laughs> us where we had to postpone a couple times, so I'm glad we finally got part one in the book, and I can't wait to do part two. Oh, I'm excited, man. Yes, sir. Thank you again for having me. I've enjoyed it. Oh, dude, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've enjoyed every single minute of it, and you've seen it on the screen. Like, it's been nothing but smiles. So, I'm glad we got to do this. Oh, I can't wait, man. And, guys, next week, Christmas Eve, we got another awesome episode dropping. So, that's going to be my gift to you. And, like I said, Check out all the social media platforms. Check the show notes for Randall's social media and info. Share this podcast. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. And I know you hear me.
Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his times in the territories with PG-13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast formats. Thank you.